Recorded live. number of years. What are all these knobs? What, these? Instruments. These are for controlling our flight. Flight? Well, yes. You see, we travel around in here through time and space. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Don't laugh. It's true. Your father and Maxwell were working on the same problem, but I have uh, perfected a, a rather special model which enables me to travel through the universe of time. How can you? I mean, if what you say is true, you must be, uh, well... How old? Well, if we count in Earth terms, I suppose I must be about 400... Yes, about 450 years old. Yes. Well, quite. Now, I think Victoria might find that dress a little impracticable if she's going to join us in our adventures. Jamie... Show her where she can find some new ones, will you? All oh, right. Oh. <clears throat> so this way, Victoria. Try to give us a smooth takeoff, Doctor. We don't want to frighten her. A smooth takeoff? A smooth takeoff? What a nerve! Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C. And the Sixth Doctor. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Talking Collective Podcast. Yes, it's Sunday, and the gang's all here. But first, the gang leader, Mr. Dave A.C. <laughs> welcome, everybody. Well, yes, ex- he is. Expedition leader. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, Ian's got nerve, and if you add a zero to me, I'm 660 years old. Oh, beat that. <laughs> yes, the beating line starts here. All right, well, let's see who else is joining us on audio today. Uh, Darth is in the room and is uh, on audio, but uh, unavailable at present. So I'm sure we'll be hearing from him later on. But also joining us, Mr. Randall Thor is here. Hello, Mike. Hello, Ian. Hello, Dave. And hello, everyone else. I'm like, How are you today? They say hello. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us is Rick Wall. Hello, sir. Hello, guys. Glad to have you on board. Hi, Rick. Glad we missed you. We missed you on the Twilight Zone uh, episode. 
Yeah, I know. Like I said before, unfortunately, a friend dropped over and uh, we had a late lunch. So if I did come on, I would have been like. But it would have sounded like Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're glad you could make it this time and that um, you already had lunch. Yes, I did. All right. Also joining us on the phones, good, 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 is Mr. Cuddly Ken. Hello, Ken. Hi, Ian. Hi, Dave. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here watching out for Cybermaths. Welcome. It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. All right. Well, let's lower the cone and see who's joining us in the text chat. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? What? Right, and turn... Joining us under the cone, uh, temporarily, of course, with any luck, is uh, Jeff, the Seventh Doctor. He's had to step away from the mic. Uh, Cybob is here, of course. Uh, A very cheeky Logan has uh, also joined us. (laughs) All right, that's all that's uh, under the the cone. Uh, It's time to introduce the last member of the collective. It's the Toby Monkey. It's news time. Go, Typing Monkey, go! All right, first up with news, it's Mr. Dave Acey. Uh, just a couple of uh, uh, programs to make note of. They're based here in the UK, but uh, no doubt some people can find their ways to uh, watch these particular programs. Just to say that um, uh, a new drama, which started last Wednesday, Wednesday the 27th, on ITV called Lightfields started. And uh, the reason I mention it is because um, it is another series based on... Um, David Schulster's American pilot, The Oaks. And if you remember, quite uh, a while ago, 2011, uh, there was a, a drama series called Marshlands, um, which has a very famous bathtub scene in. Um, <laughs> and um, that had some of the, some great acting in it. And if you enjoyed that, it may well be that you enjoy this one. I won't tell you the plot other than to say uh, the events all pivot and hinge around a house and three different generations living within that house and this is a I'm not sure whether it's a derivation of it Uh, there are some slight differences Um, think of it um, if you're a fan of like the story of 39 Steps where each time they do make a remake of the film 39 Steps the 39 Steps refers to or it has a different solution I've got a feeling that this is the same. The setup's the same. They're obviously going to throw a few surprises, but the the whole atmosphere of it is jumping between these three time zones, and there is um, you know interlinks and relationships between those. It's a sort of um, not quite horror, but it's a suspense uh, thriller called Lightfields. Um, and also just to say that um, coming up here and again in the UK. Again on ITV uh, on Monday tomorrow is a, a new detective called Broadchurch. Now I wouldn't normally mention detectives, other than to say that um, the tenth Doctor David Tennant uh, has a starring role in this. So um, 
hopefully uh, that will be something uh, he plays um, uh, D.I. Hardy and it's uh, about uh, a child that goes missing and presumably it turns into a murder or whatever but that is David Tennant in Broadchurch and that starts on Monday at 9pm that's uh, the 4th of March so two little programmes to look out for and that's about it Ian um, the other thing that you forgot to mention about Broadchurch, um, aside from the fact that you totally overlooked uh, Olivia Coleman, um, those of you who are not sure who Olivia Coleman is, um, uh, she was quite a fixture on um, uh, Peep Show. Uh, played uh, um, oh, Bennett, gone, gone to pieces already. Anyway, she was on uh, Peep Show. She was also on. Um, uh, yeah, comedy series. What was it, Mike? Save me. Uh, oh, this is good. This is it. Go on, keep it up, Ian. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, the thing I really wanted to pick on you for is the fact that you missed the fact that Arthur Darvel's also in this. Ah! Playing, playing ah. the Reverend Paul Coates. Yes. So, two Doctor Who actors are actually in it. Well, actually, three, because Olivia Coleman was also in uh, The Eleventh Hour. She was the mother with the two children um, who was, you know, in uh, faces off against the doctor at the very, very end there as Prisoner Zero, you know. Ah, so, yeah. excellent. The doctor who was oh, good save and they've there. Probably, good save. And, and they've probably all been in casualty. Yeah. <laughs> as ever. <laughs> all right, I'm assuming you're all done. Yep. <laughs> it should be anyway. All right, a uh, couple of couple of Doctor Who items. Uh, Forbidden Planet have announced uh, a set of limited edition prints to celebrate the 50th anniversary, uh, with the first three to be released, featuring, of course, the first, second, and third Doctors. Uh, and uh, they look quite nice. Uh, there's, uh, I guess they're, they're limited to 50 of each Doctor and will be released on the 10th of March. Um, it's done kind of like um, the front of the TARDIS with the police call box. It's uh, with a blue background and... Uh, like four windows, four little windows, three pictures, and a little. Uh, uh, the bottom panel is is white with like pulled open at the bottom, but I'm assuming um, there's there's a little spiel about uh, about each doctor uh, and actor. So um, they look quite neat. I mean, they'd be a nice little collection, though, of course, depending on the price. But they're of course available from Forbidden Planet, so check those out as there. Right. Uh, We've been covering this uh, quite a lot uh, over the past month or so. Uh, an adventure in space and time has actually wrapped its production. After some four weeks of recreating the 1960s, today saw the uh, completion of principal photography for an adventure in space and time, uh, with Matt Strian saying, so that's a wrap, it's off down the pub. <laughs> Someone will get me out of this box. Uh, so uh, we're looking forward to seeing that. Of course, I'm sure they've got some work to do on it before it comes out. And hopefully we'll be finding, a, uh, finding out what the broadcast uh, uh, date is for that. Um, Nicholas Briggs actually uh, had spoken uh, to Vortex magazine about his experience because um, he was actually uh, brought in at the last minute. Mark Geddes suddenly told me uh, he wanted me to come on uh, to the set uh, for an adventure in space and time and be Peter Hawkins, the original voice of the Daleks. How could I refuse? The production team had already confirmed that they wanted me to provide the Dalek voice for this amazing production. 
but now I was given the joyous task of actually being Peter Hawkins. So that was fantastic. They did all the makeup and everything, and he sort of got to do it on the set. So uh, that was a great thing. Um, and last but not least, uh, big spoiler warning here, depending on um, what you judge to be spoiler. Uh, there's been an image that's been released, a promotional image for the series, uh, and we do have a broadcast date uh, of Saturday, the 30th of March. Um, and also, that's the same with uh, BBC America. I believe it's 8, eight or 8.30 on, on BBC America. Um, but yes, we will be talking about that next. So uh, if you don't want to know anything about the image, uh, we suggest you, um, you rejoin us in about 10 minutes. And yeah. we might mention the title, might we? Yes, of the first episode, yeah. So uh, come back in 10 minutes, or skip ahead 10 minutes, and it uh, should be good. <laughs> All right. Um, and for those of you in the text chat and uh, and the uh, and, and our audio in here, if you don't want to listen, just uh, take your headphones off. All right. So we were presented with an image um, of the uh, Doctor and... Uh, and Oswin uh, crashing through glass. Um, I've got it as my desktop background. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else. I think it's fantastic. Um, I guess the, I guess the thing that's really excited people in this that I've seen so far is the image of the Ice Warrior or Ice Warriors because there's uh, two images. Uh, one uh, slightly to the left of the uh, motorcycle wheel, and then. Uh, one to the right of the the, the light, uh, and they actually look pretty true to uh, true to form. It doesn't look like there's been a whole lot of redesign. Today, what what, we, what was your take on this this image? Well, well, first of all, um, for those of you uh, uh, followers on the, the Facebook page, I put the link up, and and I'm probably one of the keenest people. Uh, in on the Facebook page of not putting up spoiler images because I didn't really think it was the spoiler images because there's an awful lot in this uh, thing it struck me about it, it reminded me of uh, uh, the opening picture of Primeval I don't know if you've ever watched Primeval but that has all those sort of shards for the portals but it's only when you look closely that you see there's an absolute uh, wealth of material in there some of it uh, is uh, featuring all monsters. Possibly that is a hint that they are returning monsters. And um, th it is good. Uh, and, and those shards of glass are, and I pick the word carefully, because it is supposed to be the very top of the shard building that's now the tallest building in Europe uh, that is in uh, London. Um, I don't know at this point whether you actually want to mention the, the title in of the, the, the new episode. Uh, perhaps uh, we perhaps we can avail Mike to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Along with this this uh, picture, of course, the BBC posted a short blog article on BBC.co.uk/slash/DoctorWho, and that the official title of episode seven dot seven, I guess this would be six or seven, the Bells of Saint John is the title of the episode and Stephen Moffat gave a bit of a description of what to expect in that episode so again we're we're in spoiler territory but um the the menace in this episode are the spoonheads which are an evil that lurk in the wi-fi 
So there we go. Doctor Who. Evil Wi-Fi. And that is very spooky, I think. Evil Wi-Fi. Sci-Fi Wi-Fi. Which, um... Oh, sorry. I was just really going to quickly add that I'm I'm looking at this higher resolution image that you you linked to, Dave, and I do see what I presume to be the spoonhead in uh, just to the left of the uh, one of the ice warriors to the right of the headlight all oh, right right yeah and do we know what that one with the top hat on is is that well, they look like the the what's that one in, in sarah jane the trickster all right it does look like the trickster right because of course the silence don't have a mouth so it couldn't be that So, Mike, any any other Anybody things else? that you spotted in there? What's that right at the very bottom corner, bottom right-hand corner? There's a half... I, I see that, but it's kind of... It's difficult to tell. Really, the only ones that I'm sure of are the Cyberman and the, the Ice Warrior. And, and the Ice Warrior near the wheel, the old-fashioned one. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Out of, out of armor. Right. Uh, Ken came on audio a minute ago. Ken, have you seen the image? Yes. You, okay. Uh, what do you want to say about Just it? Just very excited about that they haven't really modified ice warriors, except kind of maybe leaning them up a bit, a little scarier looking, but that they've left them alone. I, I, I think that's really great for the anniversary year and great for the fans. Um, I always loved the monster. I, I don't I didn't see anything wrong with them. So I, I think it's it's wonderful to just leave them alone. Um, I can't wait for the new series. Interesting to see what Neil Gaiman uh, does with the Cybermen. That, that's going to be really fascinating. I I'm glad we have the Cybermen back, not the uh, Cybus men, uh, so to speak. I, I mean, I, I like, enjoyed having them back. I I hope they're less of a robotic feel and more of the body part humanoid feeling uh, of the old days and some of the scariness um, returned to them. I... My problem with the Cybermen uh, for so many years was the um, the kryptonite aspect of gold being introduced when it was just going through a flu- uh, filtration system, and then it was gold coins, gold arrows. You know that that's you know they became very weak, and. I want a rematch between Daleks and Cybermen, actually, and I want the Cybermen, the 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 Telosian Cybermen, uh, giving the Daleks a run for their money this time. They, um, the alternate world Cybermen were uh, too easily defeated. And, uh, I I love the Cybermen. I, I want to see them make a comeback, uh, and I, I'm really hoping for that in the uh, next eight episodes. But um, I am. I really, I really liked the uh, the the next Doctor episode. I think that 
gave kind of the mystery back to the Cybermen. Uh, the uh, the um, the Stane's Stane... favorite episode. Hmm. Because he just loves giant Cybermen stopping through that. I, I like that. I I like the steampunk uh, Cybermen actually. I, I enjoy that. Thing. Huh? It's Dave's favorite bit. I I, I love that. I, and I I I, th- I thought the whole use of I thought um, I'm forgetting her name, the actress's name. General Louise Coleman. No, not General Louise Coleman, but in in the in the next Doctor, the villain. The uh, one the, that was controlling the, the one who, who was controlled oh. controlled them. The one who became uh, the cyber. The Irish Irish actor David. Brilliant, brilliant job in that. But we're good, aren't we? Something, something. I don't think I mentioned before something, but something I I caught up on. Which tip of the hat to Stephen Moffat on this. Oswin Oswald, the meaning of the name. Oswin is beloved of God. Oswald means from God in Old English. Those are the meaning of those names. Okay. He doesn't do things just for nothing. Those names were for redemption, regeneration, etc., have you will. Um, She's but there's the Ronnie! Some... Sorry. Hmm? She's the Ronnie! No, everybody's the Ronnie. Or the, or the meddling monk. Or the meddling monk, really. Yes, yes. Yeah. I can't pronounce that lady's name, but there it is. Devil Kirwan, is it? Yes, yes. The only one who wasn't Ronnie was the girl in Sarah Jane who actually was Ronnie. That's she wasn't really <laughs> Ronnie. Yeah. But um no, I um really, really looking forward to uh Ice Warriors and I I wonder if there's gonna be some little link to Waters from Mars at all. Uh Yeah, like oh I was on that I don't know. But yeah. I just wonder how they're going to get around the whole uh, speed of a of a nice warrior. Yeah, there's 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 been little something. I don't know whether it's it's just probably speculation, but um, and one thing I was wondering is maybe that that the the getup that we've seen them in is just um, a suit, suit of armor. You know, and what if what if you take the armor off? What they look like? Yeah. You know, that could be that could be a way around it. I mean, you know, because just because we've you know that's the way we've always seen doesn't mean it's not yeah. like some kind of survival suit or yeah. Well, the hel- the helmet is is, is helmet looking with the eyes. Yeah, can I just yeah. stop you there a minute? Uh, anybody who's listening to the recording later and has scooted ahead ten minutes, we're still talking. So move forward another five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> okay, back we go. We're right on time. Go on, Ken. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, just yeah. don't look at your watch. It, it really opens, uh, like you said, Ian. It really, really opens it up for that, because there's the helmeted look um, that they have, and I, I always assumed was, was that part of their face or actually a helmet? It, it just seemed to me. I don't know. It was a helmet? Yeah. Yeah. Was there a helmet? It was always a helmet. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, it had built-in um, 
my eye shades because they were very sensitive to light. Okay. So it really opens it up. That that would be, you know, body armor you you could have to the uh the whole gravity and uh um air quality, et cetera, of Mars, that it's a survival suit for them, right. you know. So, you know, that that would be really interesting. Um, just like they had the kind of revamp with the uh, Silurians, um, changing the look of having, uh, you know, like mask, mask helmets, also saves money on uh, makeup. You know, for them, but also gave them a more personal look. I mean, uh, Madame Vastra would not have worked with the the old uh, um, Solarian look. Yeah, okay. so that's really important. Um, we've got Rick Wall and Jeff who haven't talked about this yet. So, Rick Wall, have, have you seen the image? Do you want to talk about it briefly? Um. I've seen it. I uh, can't really add anything to it. Um, That's okay. Okay. All right, I'll assume that that's that. Jeff, um, have you seen the image? Do you want to talk about it? I have seen the image. Um, I'm kind of interested in these um, folks with the... <laughs> do you want to call them folks? I don't know. <laughs> Without the eyes. Hmm. Uh I'm not sure who they are. Maybe somebody else said something I, I wasn't show for the entire time today. Um, do we know who those are? The only thing that we mentioned is the, 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 the spoon ones. ones. The, the spoon uh, ones. No, the, the, the guys with the top hats on, with the white faces. Yes. Oh. Uh, they look kind of like the trickster from Sarah Jane. Oh, okay. They were shown I, in, the, in the trailer at the end of the snowmen, but we don't have a name for them yet. Okay. I'm I haven't seen all of Sarah Jane Adventures, so I'm not familiar with that look. But um, quite interesting. I think we have uh, two images actually of the Ice Warriors in this image. So there's one down by the wheel of the motorcycle, and then one over on the right side. I'm and just thinking. Go on. And uh, no, no, go, go, go ahead. I was just thinking, looking at that one with the top hat on, if, if, because um, I, I thought it might be the silence before, but obviously the silence don't have a mouth. And then I'm looking at these and they don't have eyes. Well, if the silence are called the silence because they don't have a mouth, perhaps these are called the sightless because they don't have eyes. Hmm. Hmm. Good point. Good point. <laughs> um, going and back we'll to. Have what... We'll have hearless next. That is. <laughs> going back to something Ken mentioned about the Cybermen are we sure that these are our universe Cybermen I'm not sure of that not sure and again for those people well, who wound another give, five give minutes the... we're still talking spoilers wind another five minutes please <laughs> right. just as I was quickly going to say was given the beginning of a good man goes to war does it really matter anymore because those, the, the cyber fleet that we saw they didn't have the chest plate it's pretty much a moot point at this at this stage yeah. in the game I I would still like to see this universe's Cybermen come back but maybe you have a point Mike 
I, really I doesn't think matter. Maybe maybe they've combined their two races into one. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I get the the feeling that these are Telosian Cybermen. They're they're not. If they have warships, and I even got that that attitude from the next doctor because of technology and there was a cyber dreadnought. I I think it's kind of like the ship has passed on the on Pete's world, Cybermen. Um, that that was then. Now when they refer to Cybermen. I also gleaned from an interview, um, Neil Gaiman talking about the episode, wants to return to what he loved about the Cybermen as a child, etc. So his whole feeling, you know, if it if it has warships, if it's got a Cybermat, if it doesn't have the Cyber Sea, you know, it I think it's kind of an understated at least I, 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 you know, feeling they're, they're our universe, or what, what they they know the doctor. The doctor is a foe of them for millennia, and and that's the way it goes. I, that's how I feel. Yeah, another difference that was mentioned, I think Neil Gaiman also mentioned, was the stomping around of the Cybermen versus the silent movement of the classic series Cybermen. Mm-hmm. You know, Cybermen that move around. You know, silently, like we saw in the in the moon base, or even in here in a two minutes of the Cybermen, which we'll talk about today, versus all that loud metallic clumping around of the modern day Cybermen. And Ian, thank you for putting that image in. But I I think that is the difference. It's got the teeth look different, and the the nose isn't shown. The the, um, the one from the Sarah Jane Adventures. Right. Yeah, that's the only thing that we're you know, slightly reminiscent of. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing before we, we end this spoiler section, sorry, I was going to say, does anybody want to comment on the Doctor's outfit? I mean, I thought that was rather strange. Well, I think it's actually the same thing that we've been looking at. I think the colour has just popped up a little in this. Ah. I mean, it looks a lot more purple than... Looks, looks purple, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the colours have definitely just been popped up in that to make it, you know... Yeah. Stand out. Honestly, I'm surprised no one's b- mentioned the motorcycle and refer- well, reference I was, to the the movie, the Paul McGann movie. Was, I was going to mention that, but Dave cut <laughs> me off. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Sorry, guys. I was, I was just I was just going to uh, say I was thinking. Well, maybe will the doctor say something like, "Oh, I rode a motorcycle in San Francisco when the world was about to end," <laughs> like that. and a Lambretta at the coronation. Exactly. That'd be great. And one against a, uh, while I was fighting off some cats. <laughs> right before somebody cancelled them. Oh. Oh. Anybody else want to comment on the clothes? I mean, you can't really see what she's wearing, but uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's the same coat that we've been looking at in some of the pictures and stuff. It's just the colors have been popped up a little, I think. To, it's, it looks really, really purple, and that's quite brightly so. But yeah. Right, I suggest anybody who was, wants to say anything slightly spoilerish <clears throat> does so in the next minute, because 
we're coming up to 20 minutes on this and I can probably put a warning in the text for a 20 minute gap um, so at 33 minutes recording we ought to stop talking on this topic Ian right well I had my say so I thank you for letting me do that yes, sir. Uh, anybody else a last final thought before we click over to 33 minutes no at my say too. Thanks. Well, perhaps we'd like to hear from Andy while I put something in text. That might not be a bad idea. Well, while Dave put something in text, let's hear how you can be part of the Coltum Collective Podcast. Here's Andy. Oh, and happy birthday, Andy. You yeah. On, but I don't think we'll sing anyway. We want you to have a happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, it was his birthday but, yesterday, Saturday. Yeah. Yep. So we hope you had a good birthday, Andy, and... Uh, here you are. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a tip client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone find if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. And I did uh, actually have a quick conversation, uh, text conversation with Andy. He hopes to be back on if he can by the time Dot is back on our screens. Fantastic. All right, well, I'll turn the uh, hosting duties over to Dave as we get into our main topic. I'm getting a little chilly in here. <laughs> Indeed. Well, um, welcome. This is uh, episode 192. We're doing uh, along our feature, you know, where the doctor, the doctor's revisited. Uh, and of course, last time we did uh, Hartnell, this time we're doing Troughton, but we're doing specifically uh, and relating our um, our conversation about it with the recent airing for the 50th anniversary of uh, one of the stories, The Tomb of the Cyberman. So um, those people in the room, uh, you know, please address anything about the actual mannerisms, likes, the companions or whatever, through any part of the Second Doctor's period on our screens. But um, we, we will also be, um, as I say, referencing the Tomb of the Sun, and I certainly will be doing so uh, in links, uh, in audio links. Uh, we had that special extra long intro because it, it was a nice little thing that um, both introduced the topic, uh, introduced the TARDIS, it introduced Victoria joining the Doctor from the previous adventure where um, she had... Uh, been taken to join uh, Jamie and the Doctor, and that, of course, was the story Evil of the Daleks. And this episode uh, will be followed by the Abominable Snowman, but of course, it's not the first Second Doctor story. Uh, I've got some odd clips of the Second Doctor uh, that I can play if required, but uh, mainly I'm going to be interspersing what we're talking about with, um, you know, clips from this particular episode. And um, I noticed that, Ken, you were one of the last ones to speak, I think, last time. So, um, uh, Jeff, Ken and Jeff were about the last ones to speak last time. So, I go to Ken, if I may, after playing this 
first clip from episode one of um, the, um, there it goes, episode one of uh, Tomb of the Cybermen. What's been happening over here? He was killed the moment you made your appearance. Ha! Ah, and you think we did it? Oh no, I can assure you we had nothing to do with the death of this man. He appears to have been electrocuted. Trying to open these doors, Bat? He seems to know all the answers. A wise guy. I think this fellow must be a member of a rival expedition. Expedition? We've tried to keep it secret. Unsuccessfully, it now appears. Look at him. Archaeologists written all over him. Really does it show. There, you see. It's impossible to keep a secret in the scientific world. Doctor, what do you mean? Tell them, Doctor. Go on, tell them. No, not until they tell us the purpose of their expedition. This is an archaeological expedition. We're searching the universe for the last remains of the Cybermen. Cybermen? You mean to say they came from here? But of course. Telos was their home. This is the entrance to their city. We know they died out many centuries ago. What we don't know is why they died out. Callum, Rogers, yeah. get him back to the rocket. I'll be with you in a minute. Okay. Well, that's that. Are you coming back to the rocket with me, Professor? What for? You're not going on with this, are you? Look, I don't know if these people had anything to do with it or not, but one of my men has just been killed. You're not paying that kind of money. Yes, I suppose that's quite true. Now, you think it over. Come on, let's go. We'll wait for you back at the ship. Uh, the problem, I take it, is to open these doors, right? Huh, brilliant. That is the problem. And we would prefer it if you returned to wherever you came from. Oh, not very friendly, are they, Doctor? Oh, yes, do as he says. I'm afraid that became impossible the moment that name was mentioned. What name? Cybermen. Cybermen. Okay, um, Ken, are you good enough to jump straight in for us? Yes, I am. Well, first off, they did a retrospective special on the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton. And I enjoyed the first one they did with William Hartnell, but this one was much, much better. They fleshed out the every aspect of the second Doctor, the whys and wherefores of the regeneration, the villains of the Doctor, his companions, and they're really doing a a wonderful job getting the best people to talk about this. I mean, they have Neil Gaiman, Stephen Moffat, Carolyn Skinner, David Tennant, Wendy Padbury, Fraser Hines, and John Barrowman. I'm looking forward to who they're going to get month by month uh, for each of the doctors. You know, um, I'm I'm hoping that we get to have some retrospectives from Tom Baker and Peter Davison and Colin Baker, you know, et cetera, as things go on. Um, I think, I think that would be great. Um, I think it was, it was much better overall coverage of the Troughton years and, and the feeling of his doctor, how revolutionary it was for television and for the show not to just put someone in a white wig another actor to do a Darren Stevens uh, with Doctor Who and trounce him out and go oh it's the same person you know but the amazing concept and, and this is why we're talking about the show 
50 years on, I think the amazing conceit and brilliance that they decided to roll the dice and go, okay, is the audience going to buy this? Are we going to have a different personality, a different persona, a different actor, and we're still going to say it's the same consciousness that we're going to up up the alienness of this character and have him be able to resurrect himself, so to speak. We're, we're, we're having this whole Christ-like thing uh, which, uh, added to uh, the character and to the mythology. We find out he's 450 years old, um, you know, in, in the episode to follows um, and in, in the, uh, the clip you played um, from Tomb of the Cybermen. And I I love that they showed the Ice Warriors, went into the whole aspect of why they were so scary, went into the whole um, origins, and why in the consciousness the Cybermen, I think, are just the coolest monsters. Uh, they're right there with the Daleks, maybe even a little more for me. I, I have a personal reason. I I... I, I got to know Jerry Davis. He lived in Los Angeles. He became uh, visited the um, fan group uh, we have in L.A., the Time Meddlers, and I had um, become a friend of his uh, while, 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 he, while he lived uh, for a few years here. And um, uh, nicest man you'd ever want to meet, and brilliant, and it... it um, I, I was honored, you know. You know, I, I called him Cyber Dad, uh, so it um, means a lot to me seeing the episodes, seeing Pat Troughton's Doctor, and again, where William Hartnell was the Scrooge of the Doctors, Pat Troughton was the Fezziwig. He, you know, he's the, the hobo. You know, uh, Charles Chaplin, whatever, what you want to say about him. And it was that attitude of playing the fool, but being the genius. And Pat Troughton was such a genius as an actor. I, I, my, my kind of viewpoint of Doctor Who, I always saw the actors before I saw Doctor Who. So I came to them from a whole different vantage point. Coming to Doctor Who you know, late in my life and not getting into it until the 20th anniversary. I had seen Pat Troughton in um, Jason and the Argonauts, in Elizabeth R., uh, in his small bit that he did in Olivier's Hamlet, in Six Wives of Henry VIII. Um, knowing what, how a good actor he was already, I had seen William, William Hartnell, in Tunes of Glory, in The Mouse That Roared. I had you know, seen Tom Baker in Golden Voyage of Sinbad and Nicholas and Alexandra. So I got a feeling for these people, you know, for their acting before I saw them in Doctor Who. And Troughton, chameleon-like actor, chameleon-like. He could be just terribly villainous, wonderfully charming, very dramatic, all, all over the board. And, and that... That that was just you know such the joy of seeing what he did in Doctor Who, and matching him 
what great companions. Fraser Hines is is such a great actor, so good as Jamie. It, it's it's such a different match, and you also got the physicality. You know, he's he's the heroic, you know, uh, uh, strong man for the doctor. They always played that, but where William Hartnell was basically the man of words, and other people did the deeds. You did have Pat Troughton, you know, doing the chases, going around the pratfalls, etc. Very physical actor. But the, the heroics, that, that was done a lot of times by Jamie. And have, you know, the introduction in Tomb of the Cybermen, I mean, the main introduction of Victoria, Deborah Watling, a beautiful, wonderful actress. Um, later have... Uh, you know, uh, Wendy Wendy Padbury as Zoe. Uh, blushingly, we'll never forget the cat suit. And uh, she out uh, Emma Peel's Emma Peel at times uh, in, that, in that part. And just, you know, to- totally a delight. You know, on to, on to the episode, Tomb of the Cybermen. Great episode to pick. Um quintessential, archetypal, base-under-seed story. This is so well-crafted. Great, great cast. Um, I I have to look up. Thanks thanks for the the link, Dave, on this. But um, George Pastel, who is just, so noticeable in things. He's been in Hammer films, in James Bond movies. Eric Kleeg as the main villain, and uh, Shirley Cochran as Kaftan. They have this this air of menace and and uh, subtlety to them. And there's an elegance, a James Bond elegance, to their villainy. This this. The society of logicians that wants to side and and ally themselves with this terrifying metallic monster race uh, for the sake of power. It, 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 it's, it's a great concept. I watched this. I haven't watched it in a few years. And I was trying to watch it just with the feeling of how would I have felt as a kid. Watching it now, it gave me chills. The the use of the cybermats, the the way that the tension is amped up, how the archaeological uh, explorations slowly winding their way into the cyber tombs, the the terror of getting in, being trapped, and when we get to the final revelation and uh, the cybermen coming out of the tombs, the stylized movement. The way they're breaking out of, uh, like, like wasps coming out of their nest, slowly coming down, and the, the unveiling of the cyber controller, it gives me chills now watching it. I, I can imagine kids just, just being terrified. And I, I always like some of the changes of the Cybermen, but I love the kind of metallic voices they use. It's, it's just... It's it's really great, uh, really unearthly feeling to it. 
really frightening quality uh, to it. Um, something that is, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I found it maybe a little disconcerting um, about the episode, and I felt that years before, maybe it's political correctness or something. I got a vibe with the character Toberman being a slave, him being black and all that, I mean, 67. I, 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 it kind of gives me slight willies, you know, for that. I don't know if that I'm being maybe too sensitive about that, uh, looking through today's eyes or not. I, you know, I, I wonder how um, viewers then felt about it, or that was just something that just went on um, as in the back of my mind. Because, I mean, there's really no disrespect played with the character, and he becomes very heroic um, by the end. Uh, you know, um, he's actor, bodybuilder, even, I think, played Quarles Jr. in a later uh, James Bond film, um, the actor who uh, played Toberman. But the, the, the cast it was so good. George Pastel... Uh, Aubrey Richards, Professor Perry, uh, Cyril Shapps, Viner. Um, I do think the, the the captain, the American voices, they have that kind of American sound a bit um, that, that kind of always makes me chuckle. Um, not a complaint, but it, it's just something of, uh, just to smile about. The production values are fantastic. I love the whole design and, and logo of the Cyberman logo itself on, on the Cyber Tombs. Um, classic, wonderful Doctor Who. It, it's, it's not too long, not stretched out. Great character reaction. Uh, leaves the big question mark at the end about, oh, that's the last we've seen of the Cybermen. What a great episode for today's viewers to see. Great example of, of Pat Troughton as the Doctor, of his companions, and of uh, the second Doctor's uh, time of the series. Yeah, really good. It was uh, Roy Stewart who played the black actor. And uh, I think it was still, uh, I think it still had a twinge at the time. You know, you, you said about, you know, having this black man as this basically, you know, almost as though she owned him. He wasn't just a servant. Uh, she seemed to have this sort yeah. of God-given right to command him. And I think even then it was not so much because of them, but because this was supposed to be... Obviously, it was a space expedition. It was supposed to be yeah. you know, hundreds of years in the future. Uh, and and to think that people would still have now, that my sort question, of relationship... On. on that, sorry. My question on that is, was that a commentary on Jerry Davis and Kit Pedler's part, or was it just in there? Was that their commentary about, let's say, South Africa and about the nature of slavery and all of that? I'm wondering if the uneasiness is deliberate. That's, that, that, that's the thought, that that was not just by happenstance and casting, but they put it in there as a statement and who was very heroic, but the slave at the end. He broke the bonds of control by her and by the Cybermen at the end to to be very much a hero. 
So I, I'm mm. I'm wondering on that that just you know things. I think it, this captain. I don't think they ever said in it that whether she was of royalty or whatever. Maybe I'm not saying that royalty have any more right to do it, but maybe that was, she was supposedly some yeah. royal descendant. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't think it it would have caused much comment. But I think most people, and I I, I can't really say myself, but I mean, I would think people would think, well, things like that wouldn't happen. If Even if they happen now, they wouldn't be happening, you know, in the future. I mean, one of the great things I was was happy about, that we didn't get to um, the moon too early, um, is the fact that, you know, you, you don't really want one, you, you know, one country claiming it over everybody else. I mean, in right. one sense... Uh, I don't want us to go. I want us to go to Mars while I'm still alive, but I don't want us to go while people are going there to claim half of it for this country and half of it for that country. Yeah. And yeah. But but I have to say that he plays the character with dignity. He comes off. He has a great presence and a strength, and there's 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 nothing degrading in his performance. It's just something subtext there that, you know, I noticed when I first saw the episode some years ago and just giving me a bit of a twinge watching it, just wondering, hmm, you know. Well, this is also before the um, 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 Freedom Riders and stuff here in the U.S. and um, the big uh, push for... Civil rights and stuff. No, no, it's the 67. No. 67. Six, oh, it's the middle of. Yes, okay, yes, I'm yeah, sorry. But, you know. Uh, September 2nd, 1967. You know, if, I mean, if um, this was like 1960, I could give it more of a pass on that. Right. But it. it, it, it yeah, it, I forget it was 67. I'm, yeah. I'm awake. You know, yeah. you know I. I, I I don't want to dwell on that that much. It's just, no. just a small thing that, that, that gets there, but I think it might have been more commentary on their part because knowing the people, very very humanistic, very open-minded and all of that, there was there was nothing denigrating the way the character was used. It's a comment, I would say, more on Kaftan and uh, more on Eric Klieg as their agenda, the way they use people, because I mean they they are the they are villainous, and villains use people, and they have slaves, and it's you know they 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 would think of uh, the world being their slaves for their for their agenda, so you know it it it's true to form in that. Okay, well, um, we'll be going to Jeff in a moment. Let, let me play another clip from, so from episode one, the second clip from that. Victoria, are you all right? Oh, it's all right. Get your breath. It's all right. I didn't like that very much, Doctor. Don't expect to play it. You'll have to be a little more careful in future, won't you? Now, come along. We must go and see whether Jamie is all right. Come along. <laughs> Is that all? Aye. All except this big button here. What does that do? I'm not sure, but we'll soon find out. 
I'm going to trace the source of these shapes. There must be a projector somewhere. Look, when I give the word, press the button. The big one? Yes, maybe it works in conjunction with the others. Right, ready when you are. Okay, go ahead. Well, Jimmy, don't touch that control! I already have. What's the matter, Doctor? Which one was it? Which one was? And, of course, we have a, a death there right at the end of that episode. And, of course, um, Victoria was uh, trapped in this thing, which um, I think on the commentary, I don't know whether it was Mike or Ian, oh, Mike's dropped off audio, um, about uh, that uh, she suffered, Deborah Watting suffered from claustrophobia. So um, they, they had to work around that. But, of course, if you listen to uh, our commentary, uh, parts one and two of um, this episode uh, are already up on the feeds, up on our... Uh, cult collective feeds up on the iTunes feeds and up on zarban.com um, uh, we'll go to Jeff we were going to go to Mike after but since we've already heard from Rick Wall after Jeff we'll go to Rick Wall if we may so Jeff it's interesting that you played that clip Dave um, when this, the DVD for this came out in the States it was one of them that I wanted to get I I wanted to get them all, but uh, this one in particular, because it was a lost episode or a lost story that I hadn't seen before. And when I watched it for the first time on DVD, uh, that scene really got to me. Ken was just talking about how frightening or how chilling uh, the story could be. And that scene in particular really chilled me, if you um, excuse the pun there. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this story. Uh, I've always been a, a Patrick Troughton fan. Uh, he's one of my favorite doctors, and uh, there are so few of his stories uh, complete anymore that, uh, after they were all destroyed, or a lot of them were destroyed, I should say. And to get anything of, of Patrick Troughton is, is just wonderful because I just enjoy the way he acted uh, the part and it is in the commentary before the uh, the documentary, excuse me, before the episode on BBC America the other night, uh, David Tennant was saying that he wouldn't be sitting there talking about it if it wasn't for Patrick Troughton and in the way that he came on and played the part uh, as he did, um, playing it completely different from William Hartnell. Uh, and, you know, the, the audience bought it and... So, so is history. We have 15 years now of Doctor Who, and it's it's just wonderful. Um, I, I thought this story was very well crafted. Uh, it, it moved right along uh, logically. Again, excuse the pun there. Uh, logically, from one one point to the next. Um, I, I did have one little quibble with it, though toward the end, and I just couldn't figure out why they would put Eric and and the woman, I can't remember her name, in the room with the weapon uh, toward the end of the story. Uh, it just didn't make sense. Why put them in there when you know there's a weapon in there that they could probably turn around and use on you, which they did. Uh, but other than that, it was, it was just fabulously crafted, uh, well-paced for 
a story uh, back in the 60s. Uh, some of them dragged on a bit with mm-hmm. extra episodes. But this one was, was well-paced. I just watched it this morning and uh, uh, never got bored with it. And it never dragged at all. Uh, just a great story. Uh, good production values, again, for the 60s. Uh, they they used their money well, and it was, for the most part, believable. Although my wife did say that it was hokey. She watched a little bit of it with me this morning. But uh, she does watch the modern series, but uh, she, and, and she says she watches it because it's not hokey anymore. It's not like the way she remembered it when her brothers watched it when they were kids. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and you do have to give the, the classic series a bit of a pass with the uh, reduced budgets and, that they had and the, the resources that they were, that they had access to back then. But uh, um, I was uh, disappointed with the way BBC America transmitted this story. Um, what they did is they, zoomed in on the on the frame a bit and then they stretched the sides so if especially when the camera was panning left to right or right to left you could see a distortion along the the left and right edges of the of the image and it was really distracting and you you could tell that it was zoomed in a bit too uh things were a little fuzzy and um a the tops and the bottoms of the uh, image was uh, cut off a little bit. They did it so it would fill a whole widescreen television, but it uh, it's the first thing I noticed when the episode came on, when the credits were rolling at the beginning. Oh, no, they stretched this thing, and they zoomed in, and it just looks terrible. Just show it in the regular 4x3 frame. Um, so I was really disappointed in the way they did that, and I hope, BBC America has gotten enough flack from that that when they go to the Pertwee story next month, that they'll just show it in regular four by three. I'm not holding my breath on that, but hopefully they'll do that. Um, but yeah, I, it was it was a great story. I I enjoy it even today, and uh, looking forward to next month. And I. I not going to say anything else because I, I agree with a lot of what Ken said. I'm just not going to repeat what he said because he said it so greatly. So, thank, thank wasn't, you wasn't the music that. great? Oh, too? yeah. Yes. It, it's, and, and the sound effects. Uh, a lot of people complain about the, the sound effects in the new series that they keep repeating the same effects the, uh, over and over. But it, it seemed like every story in the classic series had unique sound effects, and uh, it was just wonderful. They may sound a little hokey today, but uh, but it, it still has a unique style that uh, is just interesting to hear. Yep, I think I think uh, the sound was particularly good on it, and uh, it does seem bad that they they spoiled your viewing with that. I mean, it, it, it seems the worst of both worlds to not only crop and stretch because because you're not getting you're not getting the full frame and you're not getting uh, a screen filled uh, because you're getting that distortion but um right yeah right 
But I um, okay. this morning this morning I watched it on DVD. I wasn't going to watch the the DVR recording I made of it last Sunday uh, because I didn't want to be distracted by the, the stretching and the cropping. Now, now presumably, if you watch the DVD version, you you will have seen it um, th- where it's been treated by this vidfire process. So presumably, it, it, it looks quite a lot better on your DVD than the the BBC American oh, screening. Oh, Dave, that's not true, you know. It, it depends on which version you're talking about. I know, that's the, why the, I said Diddy, because it depends on which DVD you watched. I watched right. the, the original release version. Yeah, mo- uh, most people will not have the, the vid-fired version. When, so when you speak of DVD, you generally don't mean the vid-fired version. Well, it was released the 13th of January, 2012. Sorry, 2002. Right. Right. Uh, the original then, one, yeah. The, yeah, and the special one was released in 2012, February. So and a year ago. I, I don't know if I want to spend the money just to get the the Vidfire version. I'm sure it looks great, but uh, you know, do I want to buy it again? Is the... Well, it's sli- it, it sort of doubles the resolution in a way, because the the 50 frames, uh, half, 50 half frames have been recombined. I think that's I'm not. In fact, I'll put a link into the Vidfire link um, information page, which uh, you can read at your leisure. But and, uh, Darth, do you want to? Cry? I mean, we will go to Rick Wall next if you can hold your fire. But ha, there's a pun. Um, <laughs> do you want to just comment on that particular aspect of it, Darth? Sorry, what particular aspect? The the, the actual technical side of of the. the what it means to be vid-fired, in other words? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but, uh, um, you know, rather than than going through your whole spiel now, if, there's a, if, if you just want to just talk about this, or if you're done, then that's fine, and we'll just move on and get back to your comments later. Well, I mean, okay, I guess you know, for the benefit of those people who might be listening to this and don't know what it is. Um, Vid firing is just the the process by which you take, um, well, okay, I guess this goes all the way back to uh, speaking about missing episodes. So uh, briefly, um, every episode of Doctor Who from the beginning to um, part 10 of um, the war games is missing. Even though you might be able to see some episodes from that period of time, the originals are all missing, which means we don't have the videotape master. Now, what we have instead are um, telerecordings, which are uh, basically in a telerecording, what you do is you you take a generally 16-millimeter camera. This is not always the case, but for the majority of missing episodes, it's a 16-millimeter film camera, and you point it at a television, and you make a film recording of the original video master. And the reason that they had to do that was because uh, when they sold the program abroad, a number of television stations around the world did not yet have the facility to broadcast videotape because it was a very expensive and at that time innovative um, format. So you ended up with this collection of uh, film recordings of Doctor Who. And that's all well and good because it lets you kind of see what's going on. But when you uh, broadcast it, especially when you broadcast it again on television, it looks a little 
well washed out and um, not nearly as crisp as it, it, it might have been. And so they came up with this process in about, uh, oh, I don't know, 1992-ish or somewhere in there, um, of taking the the film that we had left behind, the 16-millimeter film, which was going at uh, a frame rate of uh, you know 25 frames a second because we're talking the British standard, the PAL standard, the European standard, and um, reinterpreting it essentially inserting an additional frame between every frame of the film that existed. So you're making something go from 25 frames a second to something that is now 50 frames a second. Um, and as anyone will know from the recent experience of The Hobbit, when you make something go from a standard that's 25 or in the American case, 29 frames a second, and you make it go into, you know, 48 frames a second or around 50 frames a second, everything becomes crisper and clearer and it looks like something on videotape. In fact, honestly, the best way that you can see this now is literally to go to The Hobbit and see you know, The Hobbit regular 2D and then go into a theater that's right next to it and see it in um, you know, 48 frames a second and you will see the dramatic difference that that makes. Um, and so what happened with uh, Tomb of the Cybermen and why it didn't get vid-fired for a very long time, because it became a, a standard practice to vid-fire every 1960s episode and quite a few of um, the Pertwee as well. Uh, when, it, when most of those came out on DVD, they were automatically vid-fired. Uh, but the reason that Tomb of the Cybermen kind of didn't get vid-fired, I guess, is because um, – it was found in, what was it, 1992 or somewhere around that period of time, around the period of time where they had sort of started to innovate Vidfire. And, you know, for years and years and years, we didn't have Tomb of Cybermen in any form whatsoever except for audio. And so they were very concerned to rush it out on videotape, on VHS. And so while they should have nominally Vidfired it before they put it out on VHS, they were so anxious to capitalize on the excitement that had been generated by the, the story of discovering uh, Tomb of the Cybermen, that they bypassed that. Um, and I, I'm not entirely sure why they didn't vid-fire it when it came back out on VHS again, but it was one of the early VHSs. I think it was the first Patrick Troughton VHS, if I'm not mistaken. And, I mean, sorry, uh, DVD. Um, and, I, I, again, I don't really know why they... Didn't do the DVD except that maybe they felt you know they had cleaned it up because they did clean it up, um, but they didn't vid fire it. They cleaned it up in order to do this VHS, but they didn't vid fire it at the time. And maybe they felt like, um, you know, we have recently worked on this thing, so let's just go ahead and put it out there and 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 get some money because you know at that time 2002, this is sort of at the very beginning of that range, and it's before. To entertain got involved. It's before the budgets for these things became a little bit bigger than what they were at the very start. Um, and so they just sort of rushed it out. And they also didn't put too much in the way of uh, special features on the original edition of the uh, Tomb of the Cybermen DVD. And so when um, To Entertain decided that they were going to release their version of the DVD, um, it became 
obvious that one of the things you were going to do is you were going to vid fire it because uh, it never had that done to it. And, you know, it does make a pretty big difference. You can see a comparison on the um, – the 2012 edition, they have, you know, vidfire versus non-vidfire. There's a bit of a discussion about that. Um, and you can see it. It makes a pretty, you know, it makes a decent amount of difference. Whether it makes enough difference uh, to for you as an individual to purchase the 2012 version when you've got the 2002, I don't know if I can go that far. Um, it well, depends it, entirely on how much you like the story in the first place, I would have thought. It's also complex as well because now, of course, DVDs uh, can upscale as well. So you don't know how much your DVD is upscaling the picture um, when you're playing that. Um, But Mm. just because one other thing I would say is that when you you quite rightly say about the film projector pointed at a, it's not really pointed at the TV, is it? It's pointed at a studio quality monitor of the time, which cost like you know. Five thousand quid. I mean, they were, they weren't. Yeah. It wasn't, they weren't pointing at a TV. They were pointing it as a very, the best sort of monitor they could produce at the time. Well, I mean, it, it is, it is fine. It's, 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 a du- it's a, a TV. Yeah. It's a duplication apparatus. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's more than you, than like. Okay, I guess a good comparison here would be. Um, the telesnaps that we have, telesnaps being. Um, uh, this thing that a guy named John Cura, there's only one guy who actually did telesnaps legally. Um, and what you do is you, you, he would take his camera and he would actually point it at his TV and take um, pictures of Doctor Who episodes as they were broadcast at the fastest rate that his camera would allow, which basically just meant that he was getting about 80 to 90 photographs for every 25-minute episode of Doctor Who. That literally is, uh, you know, pointing a camera at a TV and taking a picture. And you can compare the quality of that to a screen grab of a... um, of, say, the the 2002 edition of Tomb of the Cybermen, um, which is, you know, it is cleaned up a little bit from just being the, the... 16 millimeter print, but it, it still is basically it's not vid fired, and you can compare the, those two things, and you can see well, uh, obviously it is better quality uh, off of the 16 mil telerecording, but I mean essentially yes, essentially it it yeah. is pointing a camera at a uh, pointing a film camera at a video monitor and getting what you're going to get. Now obviously that's all under ultimate. Uh, I mean, optimal settings. Yeah. It's you know the cameras at a precise distance. Um, and, it's and the, nailed and the down. Monitor, you know, the monitor they use would had overscan. I mean, ordinary domestic monitors, absolutely. Uh, TVs had about a twenty percent overscan, which is sure. why on the Aztecs you can see the side of the props where they probably didn't worry about that because when it aired right. on TV, that would have been in the safe area that yeah. overscanned. Right, absolutely, um, but I mean, it, but you know, yes, it, it is. It is the best quality that they could possibly have done, but it is. Not, it is not like what we would do today. It's not mm. like, um, like I think, if we think about making a film today out of a video negative or, or not negative, but out of a video source, 
what we would think of is first we're going to translate it to digital and put it onto our hard drive, and it's now going to be a digital copy. And then we're going to output that to film, again, sort of using you know this digital medium in the middle. Um, and that's not at all what we're talking about. I mean, we're not talking about anything as sophisticated as that. It is much closer to you sitting at home and pointing your, you know, eight millimeter film Super 8 camera at your TV and taking a recording. Like it's closer to that than it is the modern situation where certainly you would have a, a digital go between, as it were. Right. Right. Okay. Well, thanks for that because I I, I do think it is it, it is important. So I don't know whether that, that helps Jeff make decisions to spend his hard-earned cash on uh, another copy. But perhaps um, uh, there may be somewhere online where you can see um, uh, you know comparison Jeff of the, the two pictures. But I think that the bigger selling point is not going to be that. It's going to be you know that there are additional Extras. special features and a much better commentary and a much better info text as well okay right and um, we'll um i'll play a clip uh, thank you for that darth and then we'll go to uh, rick well so this is um um episode two now and the first two clips from that F, not to a Excellent. Now to work. It'll be extremely cold down there. We shall all need to put on warm clothing. Mr. Viner, would you please see about the anoraks? Oh, just a moment. Are we all going down? There is safety in numbers. The women as well? Oh, they, of course, will stay up here. In case of trouble, contact the rocket. I'm coming down with you. But my dear young lady... You but... heard me, Professor, that... Victoria, you would be much safer up here. But, Doctor, and I... much more used to us. I don't see. Keep an eye on um, things, please. All right. Thank you. Well, if we're all ready, I shall lead the descent. Be ready to go back the instant I give the word. Now what to do? The hatch. Gentlemen? He stays with me. Then I stay here, too. Of course, I am being selfish. His strength will be useful to you down there. He must go down. Go down, Toberman. What I said, be very careful. Okay, Rick Wolf, uh, thanks for waiting. Uh, your comments on the second Doctor and maybe this episode as well. Well, um... I had the pleasure of meeting um, 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 Pat um, at an icon. Uh, we had uh, both him and uh, John uh, Pertwee uh, at uh, an icon, and they were a riot. Uh, um, I haven't seen very many of his uh, doctors. As a matter of fact, this was the first time I saw the Tomb of the Cybermen. Uh, I liked it. Uh, um, and uh, I did notice, though, uh, I don't know if anybody else did, I'm sure you did, uh, that the cyber leaders seemed to shrink. 
uh, when the uh, I forget the he was being uh, carried when he was being carried. Yeah, and, and when he got thrown down, uh, he he became a uh, much smaller cyberman, yeah. a stunt yes. cyber leader. Yes. Um. But uh, other than that, I liked it. I liked, even though the, the, it was a lower budget. I liked the special effects. Uh, I don't understand why or. You know, they never explained why Victoria never did get turned into a Cyberman because, uh, you know, uh, what's her name was throwing levers and and stuff like that. And when they were trying to get out, I don't understand why and how they didn't accidentally activate the the chamber that she was in. I assume that was a uh, transformation chamber or a Big, the beginning thereof. Uh, yeah, there was a big like uh, a machine pointed towards it, which the the woman started to operate. But Patrick Troughton was lurking and suspicious of her, and, and stopped it fairly quickly. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I uh, a couple of times I had a um, um, leave the room, uh, so I might have missed that. All right. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't. Uh, I'm sitting there and going, okay, why didn't she get transformed into a cyber? But um, other than that, like I said, I liked it. Um, I was wondering, too, about the the servant bit. Um, But, um, you know, science fiction doesn't work uh, well if it's not a commentary slash satire, slash uh, whatever you want to call it, um, um, observation of uh, um, society. And uh, Cautionary tale? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a bit of an, an, a, 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 what's the word I'm thinking of? Anyway, um, but um, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, as I said, this was the first time I've seen it, and uh, I was I was getting creeped out uh, by it in, in certain parts. I'm going, okay, now what's going to happen? <laughs> Uh, and um... and is he one of the doctors you like? I mean, um, I mean, I, I know some people won't watch these older ones simply because they're black and white. But I mean, um, presumably you 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 caught quite a few of the classic ones, you know, back in the day. So I mean, I mean, do you rate? Patrick Troughton is one of the better doctors, or is he one of your personal favourites? Are are indeed the companions, either the ones that were in this series, or the ones that joined him later, like Zoe? Um, well, uh, my personal favourite doctors are in the, the top three. I'd have uh, um, um, Pertwee, uh, Tom Baker, and uh, um, um, Troughton. Uh, in in the classic uh, um, um, 
version anyway. Um, I, as I said, I didn't see many um, 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 Troughton episodes. Uh, I like what I, I've seen, though. Uh, but, uh, you know, like I said, you always like what you see first, and uh, John was, uh, Pertwee was the uh, the first, and, uh, you know, ever, ever since then, I, uh, that's how I got hooked on, on Doctor Who, and we saw the uh, Tom Baker ones. And then, for some strange reason, my PBS station went back to uh, Troughton after Baker. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, I'd say it would be my third favorite of the, of the classic era, if that's how you want to put it. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm surprised that because uh, I, I thought uh, some of the Pertwee and, and, and uh, Baker ones were low budget, but uh, these were even low, lesser budget, but they did a lot. They did, to me, they didn't really look that low budget. You know, they, they, they made up for ingenuity, they made up in story, and they made up in acting. Um, and uh, um, you know, I, I admire that being a producer and of, of a low-budget thing myself. <laughs> and um, well, no, I I know how hard it is to make it look not uh, as cheap as it really is. Right. And. Um, you know, I I can appreciate the, the the hard work that they put in, and like I said, they made up with story and acting. Um, so, uh, um, you know, I um, uh, on on the, in that uh, uh, icon that I mentioned, I uh, let's see, I also saw the. Uh, The Yeti now, one. This wasn't the this wasn't the one where Patrick Trout died because he uh, sadly he actually I don't know he died actually at the Connor very shortly after. Visiting. No, he died um, um, at another con, and I I believe that was like a year later. Uh, oh, yes, he, I'm looking here uh, on Friday the 27th of March, so uh, uh, 1980. Uh, 87, two days after his 67th birthday, uh, Trent was a guest at the Magnus Opus Con 2 science con- fiction convention in Columbus, Georgia. Right, no. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, uh, Icon is in Stony Brook, Long Island, and like I said, this was about a year later. I saw him in 86, I believe it was. Right. It says he actually survived that, and then suffered then a third and final attack on the 28th of March. Mm. Very sad. Yeah. And of course, um, David Troughton. Uh, well, he's got two sons, isn't it? Well, he's got, uh, but one of his sons, David, is uh, B 
been in, of course, he was in Midnight, wasn't he? In the episode of Midnight. And I don't know whether he's been in any of So, okay. Um, is, is that all you want to contribute now at the moment? Yep. Okay. Well, let me play a clip and then we'll go to Darth. Mike's still not back on audio. So uh, we'll go to Darth. This is about just a, one a minute, 20 seconds. Doctor, feeling that man planned it all. He knew that control wouldn't open the hatch. So did I, Jamie. You knew, Doctor. I wanted to know what he was up to. And now you know, Doctor. We know nothing. This is the action of a lunatic. Lunatic? Not at all, Professor. A necessary detail, that's all. But why? Logic, my dear Professor. Logic and power. On Earth, the Brotherhood of Logicians is the greatest man intelligence ever assembled. But that's not enough by itself. We need power. Power to put our ability into action. The Cybermen have this power. I have come here to find it and use it. So that was your motive in financing my expedition? Precisely. Your complete lack of uh, administration made it ideal for our purpose. You think the Cybermen will help you? Of course. I shall be their resurrector. Look! me when I first watched it. I was just listening to that thinking, I wonder what the Foley artist was using to make those sounds. Is it a coma or what? Anyway, shouldn't do that because it was quite uh, amazing for its time. Uh, Darth, please. Yeah, I'm going to take some pretty strong exception going back to the, um, the special that BBC America concocted here. Uh <laughs> I don't know what Ken's smoking, but I want some of it because uh, uh, that was horrible. I'll, I'll give you some. Horrible. I'll give you some of it. It, it, <laughs> it was really horrible. Um, I thought it was much inferior to the the first one, and not only that, but just damn lazy. Uh, Any time that I hear a any kind of or read anything about the Charlton era, and the words "cosmic hobo" are there. I know it's a hatchet job. I know it's written by somebody who really doesn't appreciate the the Troughton era at all, and who, who hasn't really dug into it because there's that is something that was attached to the character um, without any reference whatsoever to the narrative involved. In no way is Troughton a cosmic hobo, and you know they were pushing that standard trope line pretty hard in that special. And, and of course, the, the objection, the real objection that I have to the special was because they were guided by video inserts that they could do. And it was very clear to me that they were pushing the Ice Warriors. I mean, it is no coincidence at all that a story which has gotten zero play in like 40 years since that thing has been on air all of a sudden crops up five times in that show. I mean, come on. It's it's pretty clear what they're trying to set up and what they're trying to do. Um, and, I mean, fine, they got some cool moments, I suppose, from the Ice Warriors, but really, uh, just odd 
usage of you know clips from places that you don't normally pull Troughton clips from. Um, and the the biggest thing that I had is that this thing is going to once again perpetuate the myth that the two companions that the second doctor had that were female are Zoe and Victoria and completely ignore Polly. And I know why they're doing that. I understand that there's not much of Polly that exists and most of what exists is actually with Hartnell and not with Troughton. But they just completely ignored Polly. And that's one whole season. That's one third of the Troughton era. And I, and I again, it's not that I don't understand why they kind of did that because they don't have any film to show from that time. But they've got a little bit. They've got some moon base and, uh, you know, they've got now uh, Underwater Menace. They've got twice the Underwater Menace that we've ever had. Um, and they could have done a lot more, I think, with Polly. At least mention her. At least say, you know, we're sorry we don't have any, any video clips to show, but this is what she was like. This is what that... Here's what... They didn't even... They didn't even mention the words Ben Jackson at all. Um, and, and I found that really quite offensive. And not only that, the worst thing, the thing that just made me want to just hurl my TV set was they kept associating Zoe with the Avengers. What? What? How is Zoe in any way the Avengers girl? And they showed that really lame fight scene that she has in, in the um, um, Mind Robber, as if to prove that she was some super physical chick. Uh, and I just, I couldn't believe it. Because they were ignoring, po- Polly is the definitional Avengers-type companion. John, so, yeah. Yeah. So definitional that Annika Wells appeared twice in the Avengers, <laughs> and yet they're trying to push off Wendy Padbury as the Avengers girl. It just shows a complete lack of understanding of the late '60s, and you know, trying to gin up. It was just like they they put words from the '60s into a hopper, and they scrambled them up, and then they assigned them to whoever happened to be there. It was it was a weird and horrible special. It is, from my mind, the worst... And I've seen every BBC America special that's ever been made, because I think it's great that they make them. And that, to my mind, was the weakest, the laziest, um, and, and just uh, kind of factually inaccurate in a lot of circumstances. Uh, so, I, I mean, there's no way I'd recommend that to anybody who doesn't understand the second doctor that that is does not serve as an introduction to the second doctor at least not a credible one um it's it's horrible and you know we should point out polly was in more stories than victoria or uh zoe um and I'm pretty sure she's got more actual episodes than Zoe. Though Zoe might have her by one or two. Um, she certainly has more actual episodes than Victoria, um, and and beats Victoria on stories by quite a bit. I mean, I think she's in nine stories. Polly is. Uh, Brenda, not all. Season, yeah, one in season not, three, eight in season four. Yeah. Right. They're not all um, with the second Doctor, and maybe that's, you know part of the problem of this particular 
Siri uh, thing. And, and I mean, we should point out, in fairness, she was mentioned in the first Doctor special. I mean, that was, and and Stephen Moffat takes some time to go over the character or whatever. But of course, she's not really that associated associated with the first Doctor. And, and not only that, but I mean, I don't know. She she is the the one character the indispensable companion in a way. If you look at what happens in, in episode one of Power of the Dalek, she is the companion who believes that it is the second doctor, who believes that this, this person is the doctor yeah. that has, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's a theme that you find throughout various media. It's a big part of the wonderful companion chronicles called Resistance, where they all go back to uh, World War II era France. And they're you know in in the French Resistance, and it, it becomes a central part of that play that um, Polly believes in the Doctor, and Polly absolutely rock solid is, is the Doctor's ally. Um, and, and you know if you look at Highlanders, she is just bang on the the action girl. She is the she's the star of the Highlanders in a way that people think Jamie is, but is not true. It's it's really Polly. Um, and you know, unfortunately, the episodes of the moon base that exists are kind of the ones that show her screaming, but the two that don't exist are the ones that show her being the one that comes up with the solution. Um, I, I don't know. It, I'm a big, big Polly fan, and it just it just bugs me that she was sort of sidelined um, in the in this special because you could have pulled some stuff from Faceless Ones, you could have pulled some stuff from uh, Moon Base, and certainly Underwater Menace, and you know come up with as much material and as much time as you gave to the other two second doctor female companions. And I, it, it bugged me that it was so unequal like that. Uh, and the other thing that bugged me, maybe this was, this was probably true of the first one too, is just that, that this one, I don't know why, but this one seemed to have an awful lot more repetition to it. Uh, like when you came back from the commercial break, uh, the, the dialogue, it, it took another minute after you came back from the commercial before you got into new material. Uh, it felt to me like they were really stretching this one in a way that kind of they didn't do quite so much in the first one. Um, and again, I think that it, it may be down to the function of um, you know, their belief that they've got to show only TV stuff. And if you don't have enough video to do that, then you're going to have to stretch it out. I don't I don't know what the deal was. And I don't know why they didn't even attempt. Apparently, it looks like they didn't try to get Annika Wells to give an interview. Um, I would have thought she would have been all game for that because she's been pretty yeah. game for that. You know, lately, she certainly has given lots of interviews to Big Finish. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I, I found it most insufficient, which is kind of how I think of Tomb of the Cybermen, too. I, I, I'm not a huge Tomb of the Cybermen fan. I'm not a huge Cybermen fan in the first place. Um, but there are a couple of really interesting things about the episode. First of all, I think that episode one is pretty magnificent. Um, it, in a lot of different ways, the you know actors are, are well on record, especially Fraser Hines, of complaining about more Barry, who's the director here, of being super rigid and not really working with the actors and whatever. But I'm sorry, what he actually comes up with visually is pretty good. Um, and the set designs here are, again, considering this is Lime Grove Studio D, uh, immaculate. Um, and this is pretty much the time where Sidney Newman 
leaves the BBC, and one of the last things that he um, attends is a, a production meeting, or I guess it's an interdepartmental meeting on, um, when is this, September of 1967, second week of September, so the second episode of this thing. Yeah, the second, uh, so the 23rd of September. Right, so on or around the 9th of September, 1967, Sidney Newman is in one of his last interdepartmental meetings, and he gives effusive praise to the production designer on this thing for the sets that are involved. And they are pretty good for Doctor Who at the time. And we also know that Peter Bryant, this is his first um, credited job as uh, producer, full producer, and, you know, during this time, they'd sort of been passing the football on who's going to be producer. Is it going to be Sherwin? Is it going to be Bryant? Uh, is it maybe even going to be Victor Pemberton? Everybody's kind of, I don't know if I want to take the ball here. But eventually it settles with Bryant, and this is the first thing Bryant does. And Sidney Newman, we know, watched the first episode as it went out. And he writes to Bryant and says that was astounding television. So, you know, as Sidney Newman is out the door, he is still finding something to like about the show that he uh, started. Um, which I, you know, that's great. And, and I have to agree, the first episode is, is really good. One of the things that, you know, we talked about a little bit is the music. And we should rest on that for a little bit because... None of this is music which is original to Doctor Who. This is stock music. And I think it shows, and it's all chosen by Morris Berry. And I think it shows that he's a guy of really good taste. Um, and Because he picks some, a wide, eclectic mix of things from all different kinds of composers, from people who are, currently working in American television. Uh, there's a track here from the guy who came up with the... Uh, and, and you might not know this, Dave, but uh, um, Americans in the room might. I'm sure that um, Rick will get this one. Uh, the uh, the guy who came up with the theme, the signature tune for Screen Gems. That little jingle that plays at the end of... Like when you're watching Green Acres or whatever, at the very end when the Screen Gems logo comes up. That little... Uh, that guy uh, contributed one track that's in here. And then you've got like a Russian composer that's in here. And he's picked some pieces from uh, people who were really famous within German television. West German, of course, it would have been at the time. Um, and and just a, a wide mix of different things that he puts together to come up with a really good... Um, Background and in many ways, the music here is stuff that um, I think most Doctor Who fans really like and 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 remember. I mean, there is obviously there's that the Cybermen theme, um, which a lot of people I think believe was composed for the Tenth Planet, but wasn't. It was it was stock even then, and it was stock when it was used again in the moon base and here in its third and final appearance and maybe most memorable appearance, you know, it too is, again, stock. It's not something that that uh, was specifically composed for Doctor Who, and yet it becomes um, essentially a leitmotif that is used throughout the uh, first three, at least, 60s appearances of the Cybermen. 
And, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you listen to, what is it? Um, what's that other show that Steven Schapansky has? Uh, the, um, oh, the podcast that... Radio Free Scaro, uh, it's another one. It's the other one. It's not Radio Free Scaro. It's the one where he's just talking off the cuff about the. Uh, they just roll a particular episode of Doctor Who, and then they talk about it for fifteen minutes without referencing anything. Um, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of this. It's kind of funny. Oh yes, it's called, of course, The Memory Cheats, uh, which mine just did. Um, but <laughs> the. The the major piece of music within the Memory Chiefs, and if you ever listen to an episode, you can't escape it, is this Cyberman theme, um, which ironically is not a piece of Doctor Who music, and yet it's what they use as their um, their signature tune, which is kind of cool in a way, uh, and it speaks well to the uh, the musical, I guess. Um, inclinations of uh, the directors at the time of these episodes and not, you know, there's, this, is a, this is a time not exactly before the era of um, the various composers that we know in the 70s and the 80s, um, but it, it's rather a time where only some serials had the budget to have an incidental music composer and the rest of them had to sort of pick and choose. And there, there's also some one of the the great things about episode one is, and, and you kind of heard it at the top of this very show, um, the fact that there's echo in the TARDIS. They go in the TARDIS, and 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 that's because, of course, this is I think the only time, but certainly one of the few times that a TARDIS interior is not in studio. This is a TARDIS yeah, the, the interior. Back wall is, at, yeah. It's oh, it's at Ealing, it's at Ealing, and so it's on film. So you're accessing the TARDIS interior filmed um, with 35 millimeter, and that's why it kind of looks a little bit different. And also the fact that they they put this echo on it makes it feel huge, and it makes you wonder, well, why didn't they just do that all the time? Because of course the TARDIS would be huge, and the only thing you really have to do to convey its size is to put echo on it. And it, and it really makes you think, well, they did do it a little bit in the TV movie where, you know, the spaces look bigger. Uh, but it, it does kind of make you think, well, why can't they do that a little bit more now even and just sort of suggest something about the, the, the height of the room, which is largely unconsidered. Uh, but it's the, one of the, the back wall really... was projected as well. When, when they come in, when they're standing there, yeah, that was projected, not... Not yeah, of course, because they couldn't. You know, why would they move the set all the way to Ealing? They were already having a big enough problem moving the set up from the stores, which was on, I guess, the second floor, to the Studio D, which would have been on the third floor. So they were already having to move that damn thing vertically. Um, so why in the world would would they have brought it all the way to Ealing? But yeah, so they just projected it, and there you go. And so it does look a little different. It feels a little different, uh, and it it helps with that whole thing of sort of introducing Victoria to the thing. It makes her look smaller against the background. It makes the whole TARDIS look bigger and feel bigger. So that that whole thing is really cool. Plus the 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 quarries here are used really well and again this is a, I think having to do with the direction. You know, he gets some really tight close ups, which is not particularly a, a feature of Sixties Doctor Who. There are a few actor, a few directors who do it. Certainly, Wars Hussein is is great for camera movement uh, early on. 
But, you know, it's completely different than, say, Richard Martin's direction. And and maybe that's, you know, Richard Martin, of course, doing several Dalek episodes uh, early on. And, and maybe that's a good comparison between Morris Berry and, and Richard Martin because they're both sort of older guys. They're both sort of set in their ways. Um, but there is something about the result that Morris Berry gets that is way better than what Richard Martin ever gets. And that's because he he's really trying to design shots. He's really trying to make a, a, a visual impact. And I think, you know, when you look at, say, I guess Dalek Invasion of Earth is the second Dalek story. Well, certainly if you talk about Chase. I mean, Chase is the third Dalek story. This is the third Cyberman story. And, and you look at the difference in the way they're directed. Granted, there's a sort of, you know, there's a big difference in the stories themselves. But you just look at the way in which they're directed. And there's there's certainly more menace. There's certainly more threat coming out of the Cybermen than there was in the Daleks in, you know, the Chase. And really, the Daleks at any point, I think, you know, are, are kind of not nearly as frightening as the the thing that's going on here. Some of this is script, though. And we know that Victor Pemberton had a, a lot to do with sort of rewriting some of the stuff that was going on, especially in the later episodes. Um, but the the script conveys quite a bit of menace as well, just because it's this slow unraveling. Um, mystery about what's going on and what's down there in that you know in, in that pit. That that's always a great sort of horror convention, isn't it? You know, here's this thing over here. It's got a door on it. Should we open the door and go down or not? I mean, that's that's a classic setup. Now, the problem that I have with this story is that even though the structure is great, even though you know I can see how all that's supposed to be working, when you get to the end of it. None of it makes any sense. It's kind of like, um, in very many ways, Asylum of the Daleks. Because um, Asylum of the Daleks, as long as you're on the journey, you're kind of like, okay, all right, we've got to go down to that planet down there, and all the Daleks are down there, and there's got to be a reason why they're going mad, they're crazy. Uh, and then you get down there, and, and you you know figure out what the solution, the problem is, and you're like... Okay, why couldn't the Daleks have done that in the first place? And it's kind of the same thing here, in that the the whole journey is is about finding these Cybermen who are in. They've created for some reason that really doesn't make any sense. They've created this elaborate puzzle that requires smart humans to get them out. And as soon as they're gotten out, then they're going to follow the smart humans back to Earth and take over the Earth. It's such an elaborate, squirrely kind of plan that you're like, look, dudes, just why don't you have a button down there that you can open this door and leave and, you know, fine, hibernate for 200 years or 500 years or however long it is. But at the end of that hibernation period, you should have an ability to leave your little tomb and, you know, go back out into the universe again. It really doesn't make any sense why... Honestly, there's no switch on the underside of that uh, cave that they can't just push, and all of a sudden they're free and they can go attack the doctor and everybody else. And you know, the, it, it does kind of crumble by episode four. What's going on here? But you know, episode one is pretty good. Um, 
It is, in fact, really good. It's, in fact, maybe one of the best first episodes of the 1960s. And and another good thing is that keeps you going along, and again, very Stephen Moffat-ish here, in that, you know, you have a good cliffhanger. I mean, that's a Hinchcliffe thing of making sure there's a good cliffhanger, but I guess it's Stephen moffat in that the cliffhangers keep you watching. They keep you uh, glued to the set, and like Rick Wall said, you know, you don't get bored with the story. You do keep watching it. it. It's just that, like many Stephen Moffat episodes, by the time you get to the end of it, you can easily pick it apart, and you can say, well, the entire story should never have happened. Which is, in my view, what's wrong with Tomb of the Cybermen. Because, honestly, I, I just don't get why they can't leave. Why would you Why would you possibly, if you're a logical being, and logic is a big part of this story... You know, why would you possibly build a situation in which you can't get yourself out of the building that you have constructed? That doesn't make any sense at all. So that's ultimately why I don't really like this thing. Uh, but it it does have some very nice direction. It certainly has some very nice art direction. Uh, the music is great. And um, the... Um, the acting is actually really quite good. Um, I, I'm not really sure about the whole. Uh, I mean, one thing that that is interesting about the the uh, the casting here is, of course, that um, I don't think that any two people are of the same nationality, right? Oh, except for maybe the 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 captain of the ship and his I don't know what that would be his first mate, his little buddy. Who knows? Mm. Um, uh, they are both American, I suppose. Um, He's British, I think. Of uh, uh, Austria, wasn't it? From Austria, I think. Ian, wasn't he? Did we say the one, the one, just the American? No, no, I'm not talking about what the, the actor is. I'm talking about what oh, the, right. char- oh, right. the, the right. character okay. is. Um, and, and you're quite right. He is. He's either German or Austrian, which is just even more amazing, kind of. Because honestly, he has. He has. For my mind, he's got pretty much the best American accent until Jack Harkness. And that includes people who are American. Because <laughs> that, that one woman who's in uh, Silver Nemesis, she's American, but her accent is just, it's almost incredible, even though we know that she is in fact American. Uh, but, I mean, when you consider that just a year before, two years before this, no, a year before this, you've got that the horrible American accents of the Tenth Planet. And they're just left and right, thick and fast, terrible American accents. This guy, you know, fine, he is, you know, straight down the middle, G.I. Joe, you know, mm. a- action Launch hero. Uh, Czech or something. Yeah. Uh, he, which kind of suggests that actually he's Czech. But anyway, um, the, uh, you know, he, he's his, his accent is very, you know... American boy wonder kind of, but at least it is credible. At least it is consistent. Um, and, and, you know, it, and it's one of the very few times where I have been surprised that it's not somebody who's American. Um, so I, you know, hats off to that. But the other thing, you know, just the, the casting all around here. And, and again, I'm not talking about what the, the actors themselves are, but the, the characters, you know, that you have this sort of people who are, from ill-defined areas, um, you know, it 
and I guess I don't really buy the whole the criticism necessarily of the um, Toberman. You know, is that slavery? Is it not slavery? I, I can't because everybody else is. You know, the, the characters are so international. Otherwise, I don't really see it as I don't see what's her name as being um, captain. captain. I don't see her as being, you know, a white woman in charge of a black man, which I guess would be the stereotype. Um, well, she I, she was, I, she was colored. But I mean, she was of. I thought she was supposed to be of Indian. Uh, she, I mean, the, I mean the, the actress herself was was had coloring to Peter Bryan. Like Right, and that, and we can talk about that. I mean, to me, that's the bigger sort of offense is that you're using the yeah. uh, produ- producer's Not wife. Because, yeah. I, I mean, that is Peter Bryant's wife. Yeah. You're using her uh, in, in makeup. That's That, to me, is an offense that inexplicably, I just don't understand, happens throughout the, the classic era of Doctor Who. Uh, because, you know, when I've been to London, and granted, I wasn't in London in the 60s, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, in the 60s this would have been true. All you have to do is go down into the tube and come out the next station, and you're in a different world. I mean, it's not like the London of all places should have any difficulty uh, finding actors from anywhere in the world. White, uh, white, uh, uh, white British people are in the minority in London now. They've just gone down to like forty-seven percent. And and even if that wasn't quite true in the sixties, it yeah. was close to true. I mean. You shouldn't have had any difficulty at any point in Doctor Who's history of, you know, if you have somebody who is of Middle Eastern descent, you can find somebody. You can find a Syrian if you want to get that specific. Uh, you know, whatever. <clears throat> find anybody from anywhere in – and it, it never has really made great sense to me why they can't find, you know, an American with a work visa and, you know, use them in Doctor Who. I never understood that. Um, so – but but the the great thing about this is, you know – I think it was actually trying to do kind of the right, cool, hip, JFK, 60s kind of thing. And that is, you know, portray the future of the world as, you know, one in which people from various parts of Earth were working together in kind of a, you know, Star Trek crew kind of way. Uh, The weird thing is, of course, that apparently the currency of this, you know, 500 years in the future is still the pound and that it's apparently a good offer to, you know, get 50 pounds to open an electrified yeah. door. I, I mean, that's, that's worth um, eight, just over 800 pounds. It's $1,100 in today's money. Right. But still, it's like still really? not much. Yeah. <laughs> the, the pound, the, the, but the, not only, you know, that the pound could possibly be the surviving um, yeah. earth currency, but that, oh, 50 pounds will do. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just crazy. Uh, and one of the funny things about the That episode, was two weeks' but, wages at the time, by the way. Yeah, even that. Two weeks' working wages. <laughs> I mean, even that seemed to me to be small for the time. I mean, given yeah, that we don't know what the door is and, you know, it might be electric, only 50? That's what you're giving me? I've traveled halfway across the universe to come to this place and you're going to give me 50 pounds? I'm not even assured at this point that I'm going to be able to get back to Earth and spend it. You know, so It should have been at least uh, 10 bars of lasting <laughs> Right. Yeah, it should have been something. So that that whole thing was a little bit crazy, but fun. Um and, um, you know, I don't begrudge that because there, in Doctor Who there is obviously an emphasis on British achievements that 
never come to pass. I mean, obviously, it, you know, in, in in three years, you're going to have the British space program going to Mars, um, you know, so whatever. So, I mean, that, that's, that's just a part of the, the Doctor Who universe is that it is British-centric, and that's just what you got to deal with. But, you know... It, there are a lot of really good things that are in Tomb of the Cybermen, uh, and obviously you should watch it. There's no reason not to watch it. It's an important part of um, Doctor Who history. And, you know, if Sidney Newman says Episode 1 is, you know, an awesome piece of work, you should probably pay some attention to that and look at it. And and Episode 1 has some just a lot of great acting, a lot of great moments in it. It's got that great line from uh, the second Doctor, which... Is one of the best lines that he ever utters, I think, and that's I've got where... that clip coming up. Oh, you got that clip? Uh, you know what you're talking uh, about? It's talking about the family. No, no, no. That's that's episode three. That's not even that's not even that's written by Victor Pemberton. That's not even a real part of the story. I'm talking about in episode one, where he, um, Klieg is you know sort of chastised. Doctor says you know. I figured out how to use this logic board. And Klieg is like, oh, how did you do that? And then the second doctor says, through my own special process. And Klieg is like, could you possibly enlighten us to your special process? And he says, well, I usually just keep my mind open and my mouth shut and just walks away. And it's it's one of those great moments just like Tom Baker has in, in Mask of Mandragora where, you know, he's, he's – you know, trying to uh, explain to the count exactly how he knows certain things, and you know, just shoots him down with this really cutting line that he just manages to walk away from. And it's 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 things like that, in fact, um, that and and really the whole serial of Tomb of the Cybermen that just make you think that the whole thing that this stupid special is trying to jam down your throat about cosmic hobo and that who I forget who coined that but it's it's somebody like I think it's like Terrence Dix or somebody from very early on you know did some kind of reference book and they used the word cosmic hobo and it stuck um it it might even be some fan writer like David J. Howe or, or Stammers or somebody like that. But whoever came up with it, just watch Tomb of the Cybermen. There, there is steely resolve. There is humor. There is compassion. Um, but there's not cosmic hobo, whatever that term means. And I still to this day don't know exactly what that could possibly mean in connection with the Doctor. But, I mean... It's it's so weird that they picked this episode and then they said what they said in that special because the special does not jive with what actually is within Tomb of the Cybermen, which is probably good because it's it's good to you know look at the primary source material instead of look at what somebody else says about it. Right. And uh, Jeff says um, Sidney Newman apparently coined it. Well, you know. Again, Sidney Newman wasn't actually, you know, except in a very technical sense, wasn't even working on the show. I mean, and and very technically at this point, because he's uh, he's not even uh, see the way it used to work was the you'd have a producer 
And then the executive producer was actually head of serials. And then head of drama, which is what Sidney Newman is, is above head of serials. So he's not even like a, Sean Sutton at this point um, is, uh, I think at this point, if not here, certainly within a couple of months. No, I think it is by 67. By this time, surely Sean Sutton is already head of serials. So Sean Sutton is your executive producer. So he's kind of the last person who's really in the line of production. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is what Sidney Newman, but a lot of, don't forget a lot of what Sidney Newman was saying at the time didn't actually come to fruition in terms of the second doctor's actual portrayal. Um, which is probably good because, you know, if, if that had been what, if, if, if you go back and you look at what, what uh, Cindy Newman actually wanted the second doctor to be and then compare it to what Troughton actually delivered, um, you're very grateful that Troughton actually delivered what he delivered and not what um, right. he said. This is from a, a link that uh, Jeff has put in. Uh, was it Shannon mm. Sullivan? Yeah. Com? Yeah, yeah, the the, the excellent um, brief history of time travel site, uh, which goes through the production history of um, each one of these things, and of course we've got to remember it goes through each serial and now each story uh, and gives a lot of detail. Um, of course, you know, at the end of the day, these are still this is still Sean Sullivan's amalgamation of a number of primary sources, including you know like Andrew Pixley's. Um, uh, archive um, articles that you'll find within Doctor Who magazine about each one of the serials. Um, also, some st he uses some work by David J. Howe and Stammers and those people who wrote for Telos to produce a variety of different books, including Doctor Who in the 60s, Doctor Who in the 70s, the first Doctor Handbook, second Doctor Handbook. Um, lots of different sources to come up with um, this stuff. Indeed. Yep. Archive, the, power, the Power of the Daleks, Andrew Pixley. Andrew Pixley is, of course, really the god when it comes to Doctor Who production um, scholarship because usually he's the guy who, um, and he still writes for Doctor Who magazine, um, he, he's usually the guy that gets the closest to the primary source materials because, of course, um, the BBC has kept all of the materials related to Doctor Who from 1962 forward um, in their archives, um, which you see in, what is it, uh, in the Planet of Evil. There's an extra feature on the Planet of Evil where Philip Hinchcliffe goes to those archives, and you actually see what's the basis of the scholarship that's used not only... Um, by Andrew Pixley, but also it should be pointed out um, the people who write infotext also will try to get to the archives and, and do original scholarship where possible. Um, but yeah, uh, lots of interesting stuff to, to read about in this period. Certainly instructive, you know, first Doctor Handbook, second Doctor Handbook, the 60s, uh, Andrew Pixley's various um, archives around this period. As Jeff, as Dave is pointing out, I guess Jeff is too. The um, the one specifically around the power of the Daleks, because that would have been obviously important to the creation of the Second Doctor. Um, but uh, yeah, 
takes some digging to find this stuff. You got to go back to the archives of Doctor Who magazine, and then if you're in England, I guess you can find your way to the BBC archives if you ever, you know, really, you know, can can get your way in there. Uh, that's one of the things I would love to do at some point is just to go to the BBC archives and, and look around. And just for Ian's sake, because uh, New Zealand is his home. Uh, yeah. New Zealand Doctor Who fan group there. Um, I've just put a link into an interview they did with him. Uh, by yeah. none other than Paul Schoons, of course. Well, yeah, time space visualer, visualizer. That's that's a, uh, a fan thing. I don't know how long. Maybe Ian knows how long that's been going on, but it's been going on for a long time. <laughs> Since the 80s, right? I mean, since it was actually still in production, I think. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think when number one was uh, 87, uh, the first okay. one came out. Oh, well, so actually at the point where Doctor Who died then. Uh, but still, um, it's it's uh, been around for a long time. They do a lot of great stuff. They're the ones that have got, especially if you want to know anything about Doctor Who in the 90s, that sort of nebulous period uh, where Doctor wasn't really on TV too much. You can find a lot of interesting things there. And, of course, relevant to this this current uh, run of specials, in which you see Moffat heaping praise upon the 1960s, the Time Space Visualizer uh, managed to get a an unvarnished sort of uh, look into Stephen Moffat's mind one night, apparently, when he was drunk, along with some other writers, I think including... Uh, Shearman, maybe, and Cornell uh, in the mid-90s. And he just, you know, Moffat, that is, takes a, a, a direct dump on uh, Doctor Who of the 1960s. So I, I find it amusing in these uh, uh, these specials that BBC America is doing to hear him kind of heaping praise on the Second Doctor's era, and especially you know his his whole thing with um, <laughs> Fraser Hines and 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 Jamie, where you know he's saying, "Oh, Jamie's great," you know, and all this stuff, and yet apparently in the mid '90s he's like, "Oh yeah, these actors didn't know what the hell they were doing in the mid '60s." So who knows? But anyway, <laughs> that's brilliant stuff. Could have been the booze talking. Could have been, or he could have been telling the truth. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, go to a, another clip, and that, but thanks for all that, Darth. Always uh, fascinating, as always. Let me just play a clip now. This is from episode three. How did you know that we would come to release you? You could have remained frozen forever. The humanoid mind. You are inquisitive. I see a trap. A very special sort of trap, too. What do you mean, special trap? Well, don't you see? They only wanted superior intellect. That's why they made the trap so complicated. We do that somebody like you would come to our planet someday. Yes. And we've done exactly as you calculated, haven't we? Now you belong to us. And to new listeners of it, that's one of the t- voices of the uh, Cybermen, Peter Hawkins, doing uh, that uh, rendition. 
Um, I want to play another clip before Ian comes on because I think this is the clip that I, I, I falsely assumed was the one that Darth was going to talk about, but I think it's one of Ian's favourite clips. So we'll go to you, Ian, after this clip. If you are 450 years old, you need a great deal of sleep. Well, that's very considerate of you, Victoria, but um, between you and me, I'm, I'm really quite lively, actually, all things being considered. <clears throat> are you happy with us, Victoria? Yes, I am. At least, I would be if my father were here. Yes, I know, I know. I wonder what he would have thought if he could see me now. You miss him very much, don't you? It's only when I close my eyes. I can still see him standing there before those horrible Dalek creatures came to the house. He was a very kind man. I shall never forget him. Never. No, of course you won't. But, you know, the memory of him won't always be a sad one. I think it will. You can't understand being so ancient. Eh? I mean old. Oh. You probably can't remember your family. Oh, yes, I can when I want to. And that's the point, really. I have to really want to, to bring them back in front of my eyes. The rest of the time, they, they sleep in my mind. And I forget. And so will you. Oh, yes, you will. You'll find there's so much else to think about and to remember. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. Ian? Yes. I am here. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do love that clip. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with, you know, the second Doctor, which is a, a shame. Um, with there not being that much of him to watch. Uh, but that particular piece, I don't know, there's just something really quite nice that I think a lot of doctors don't do. Um, is this kind of checking with the companion, seeing if everything's okay. Um they tend to kind of you know, they just kind of you know, Oh, come with me, it's gonna be fun and off they go and but there's just a nice little sit down he does with her and uh, I don't know, it's just it's really quite cool. It, it, you know, we just kind of stop all this stuff for the moment in, in, in the episode. And and that clip, more than any other, make me want to see everything that he did in, in Doctor Who. I want to see all of his Doctor because of that. Um, the delivery and everything. And, and even the interplay, which he says, well, you're really ancient. <laughs> just gives me a giggle. Um I'm not going to go too long, too long about uh, the episode in particular because, uh, like they said, we've, we've done our commentary and uh, we'll be releasing the second part, which uh, contains our wrap-up, uh, where we kind of dissect the episode a bit and, and talk about what we think works and what doesn't. Um, but very briefly, in case you don't want to wade through all of that, I mentioned me briefly. <laughs> uh, it It's a lot better than I had remembered uh, when it first came out on, on VHS. And uh, we watched it as part of the of the Wellington uh, um, branch of the NZDWFC, who produced uh, uh, TSV, which um, as uh, I think I think you put a link in. The, yes, they put a link in yep. in the chat for uh, the NZDWFC.tetrap.com, um, and uh, you'll actually find 
uh, most of the uh, time space visualizers have uh, have had their content put online now, so you can actually read a lot of the articles from back then, and even some reports uh, and maybe you know, the occasional letter from me or mentioning me. Uh, so yes, <laughs> my recorded history of Doctor Who in in, uh, in New Zealand. Um, uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I'd watched it back then and kind of thought, I guess, at the time being youngish, uh, <laughs> that it was kind of a bit bon on the boring side, and you know, it's black and white, and you know, there were there were only a couple of things I was willing to watch in black and white back then. Uh, usually Sunday sci-fi movies, which you just you know, couldn't get away from. Um, but now, having watched it. Uh, I watched it, I think about two or three years ago with, with Liam, because uh, it was at the time where he was really kind of interested in Doctor Who, and he did, uh, and so, uh, you know, it was the opportune moment for me to show him some things, and he was bored by this episode, I'll have to say. And for a child, I can understand why, you know. Um, there's not a lot to understand, and but, but now, for me, it's... It, it's just a lot better. You know, I, I kind of understand it a lot better, and I, it, there's things I kind of watch for, and I thought I think it looks quite quite good. Uh, even the part of them landing on the planet, the arriving on the planet, I guess black and white does a lot of good things for quarries. Um, you know, you, you can kind of use your imagination as to what color are the rocks and sand, uh, rather than you know seeing them in color and realizing it's just gray. Uh, and I, it's you know it all looks really quite quite good. I mean, there's the kind of silly special effects that at the time weren't. Um, you know, Dave I'm sure was frightened by you know <laughs> by most well, of well, them. Well, even that well the effect with the cyber controller releasing mm. um, the the guy. I mean, mm. that was pulled off pretty well. Yeah, I mean, some of the effects are done really well, and and for their time, I mean. Could have realized. I mean, we've we've had some of these things cleaned up and everything, and I guess got a lot of uh, got away with a lot of stuff because of the quality of you know televisions, etc. When when stuff was broadcast, you know, you don't notice some of these things, but you know, once we have these high definition TVs and things get cleaned up and you know edited, you know, a lot of things become a lot more obvious. But I I think it's a great story. It's a lot of fun. It doesn't bear you know. As everyone said, kind of thinking about what the hell Cybermen were going on. <laughs> you know, oh, let's lock ourselves in here and wait for somebody to show up and let us out. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> On the off chance. Um, but I do like the idea that, that uh, the Cybermen had kind of disappeared. Kind of like we got with the, the Daleks and, and the new series that, you know, oh, they hadn't been heard from in such a long time. And, you know... Uh, it kind of gone on to being like a myth, um, so it's it's kind of good. Uh, if you do happen to get the the special edition DVD, as I said on the uh, the commentary, there's some some nice extra stuff on there. Um, one little documentary kind of thing, uh, which ex goes into kind of look at all of the Cybermen schemes over the years. And how silly some of them are. The lengths that they go to to, to to accomplish what would be quite a simple task if they just planted a well-placed bomb somewhere. Uh, instead, no, they've got to take over a space station so they can send 
you know, <laughs> strap them into here, do that to there, so they can crash something into this. It's like, wow, really? <laughs> it's a little complicated. But it's fun, you know. Um, and, and you know, I'll wrap up just by saying is I, I wish, I still hope, I guess, that there are episodes that will become uncovered. Um, people will be cleaning more stuff out or going through tapes and these things will emerge uh, and we'll get a lot more of the second doctor back because you know, it's really worth looking at. Um, I, I, I love Pat Troughton's doctor. Um, I just haven't seen enough. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's me. It's your turn, Dave. Okay, well, I'll play a little clip and then I'll have a little chat. Now you're under my control. We know you must be revitalized, or you will perish. If you agree to my terms, I shall let you survive. I will listen. Make them release Toberman. If they think they'll listen to you, you're even dafter than I thought. Silence. Sit up. First, you release our man. Accept our plan. Plan? The conquest of the earth. What? You must be a Your answer. Good. I knew an understanding could be reached. I shall let you be revitalized. To survive, it must be now. As I said, I've all talked for a great deal of time, but um, I thought it holds up amazingly well. I'm not too sure that all the acting is brilliant, um, but of course, the, if somebody slightly fell off the stairs or somebody uh, broke one of the levers, they just carried on with the thing. They didn't have that many takes. <laughs> I, I quite like right, right at the beginning. I mean, uh, the, there was the multi uh, cultural team but I thought it was good when uh, the doctor uh, Jamie and Victoria were approaching and um, as soon as they're here oh they're English oh they must be good chaps oh they're English you know we don't need to hold our guns on them any longer um, and of course there's a, a few little surprises here isn't there with the doctor giving his age at 450 which uh, we seem to get jumped about at various stages and then, of course, uh, perhaps the one for more modern uh, watchers of Doctor Who, um, the, the ironic thing where, um, where where he's accused of being an archaeologist. And um, we know uh, from the 11th Doctor uh, what he starts out of um, River Song and her profession. So uh, I thought that was quite amusing in hindsight because you, you do try and watch these um, as they done. Um, I, I, I mean, until David Tennant came along, Patrick Trout was my firm favourite. Now, I haven't actually seen this um, uh, BBC America um, 
commentary, uh, documentary. Maybe I will get to see it, but uh, for now, uh, I was uh, quite surprised when Darth said that um, you know they'd been quite limited and there'd obviously been some sort of um, cooking the books, as it were, in terms of um, what might be coming up as a uh, a recurring monster in the future. Won't we'll say any spoilers. But, um, I mean, I did like Polly as a companion. Obviously, Zoe was my favourite one, but uh, uh, Polly. And, of course, uh, Ben, because it was not always nice to have male companions. Um, here we see the Doctor. We have uh, his nervous energy. Uh, we have that idea that, you know, people underestimate him. Um, we have, um, you know... Um, Quite a lot of um, him sort of sneaking up where he he, 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 you know, he goes on, uh, you know, he plays his hand quite close to his chest uh, and tries to see what other people are doing. So I did, in fact, um, like this episode, and I did feel as though it it zoomed fairly along where some of these older episodes can indeed drag with, you know, six or seven episodes. So I might have a sentence or two more just to say, but let me just play my final clip, uh, which at least um, our uh, the good guy, the strong guy, gets a little bit of uh, Toberman, gets a little bit of his uh, time to talk. There we are. That's done. Now we just have to close the main doors, and the circuit is complete. Oh, thank goodness for that. Doctor. Doctor! Timmy, you go that way, I'll go this way. That way is our chance. When I say run, run. And I'll let Shoring Timber over there. Hurry up! Hurry up! He's coming! No, we must keep him inside! It's all our work will be wasted! We can't hold mine! Come on! You must do! What's Come away, Kevin, you'll get killed, man. Yes, sir. Never pass. Oh, the man. The door is closed. Yeah, they shall not pass. Um, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, one of the things is um, the, the the side believer uh, didn't like the the way they designed him with his sort of giant brain on the skull. I thought that was a little bit. Funny. And since Mike's not on audio, I must give one little surprise away from the commentary where, where when they, they, they're breaking out the tomb and then the, the bottom door opens and he says, oh, the cyber leader's on the toilet. Uh, <laughs> it did look a little bit like that, a little bit, bit strange. Sorry for giving you a little treat away there, Mike, but uh, you should have stayed on audio. And uh, But we... we um, We'll, you will hear more of Mike, uh, who helps us on that commentary. So basically, that's that, that's me done. In uh, there may be people who want to have a 
a comeback since they've been quiet for so long. But if you want to take us round and over and out, that would be fine. Alrighty. Well, as you said, uh, is there anybody who has anything more to say? Speak now or forever hold your pieces. Well, yes. Um, yes. I, uh, I feel for Darth's losses and his feelings about the special with his sins of omission. But I'm viewing these specials as a treat for the non-fan, as something before an episode that, that's a gift to everybody. So I'm, I'm happy what they do. What I'm really enjoying most of all is the reflections of Moffat and company on how they feel about the different doctors. That, that's something really that can't be replicated. But, you know, Polly should have been mentioned. Uh, Susan leaving the TARDIS, being left behind by the doctor, uh, should have been mentioned. But it's about a 22-minute special. Um, they're they're doing it for the public. They're doing the feeling, and you know the the cosmic hobo thing. I I never took much stock in that. I think it was just an affectation about having baggy pants. Um, he he didn't tramp along jumping on trains, but he did run into a TARDIS and get away fast. You know maybe that's about it. But it occurred to me as as the whole focal thing of the Cybermen's plan in the episode, okay, they they have to go into hibernation. They're dying off, whatever whatever is the reason. Whoever finds us to the strongest, we're going to conquer someone that is worthy of being a Cyberman. It has to take a mighty race to get us out of our tomb. And to, to them, they get, in the Cybermen's minds, the prize of being us. So... It kind of goes through my mind as I'm watching it. It's like, uh, you know, to to the strongest, you know, goes goes the uh, victory. So then I think that's maybe what's going on there. You know, uh, you 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 get the booby prize for opening up the tomb. You get to be conquered. Mm-hmm. You know. But great episode. Uh, love Pat Troughton's Doctor. Yes, excellent. I kind of agree. With you. I mean, I, I haven't seen the special yet either, but, um, and yeah, it's going to be lacking because they're just going to put they're putting together something short. And I guess anything's better than nothing, um, yeah. as far as trying to get gauge the interest of, of new fans. You know, trying to get them into maybe, you know, looking further into a particular doctor. You know, um, if they can spin a little. Tale and, and and make things, you know, sound interesting to 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 the new fans. Then you know, maybe it's worth it. You know, I mean, yeah. for us as fans, we might find that they're lacking in information or they're you know stretching the truth yeah. a little bit. You know, if it gets a new fan in there, then yeah, who knows? Maybe it's worth it in the end. Definitely. Darth, right. uh, any any more to add? Um, I guess not. Okay. Ready. And um, unfortunately, Jeff has got some background noise going on, so we have to skip over him. But that brings us to a close, I guess. Uh, next week, uh, of course, join us 
for episode 193. Somebody in the next room is excited. Uh, we'll be discussing, well, we'll be approaching uh, the topic from the mind of J.R.R. Tolkien. So uh, get your furry feet on and join us for that. Dave, anything else? No, that's it. Um, please give a, a go at some of our commentaries. Uh, you find all of our commentaries on uh, Thalman.com and I uh, yeah. hope you enjoy them. Right, uh, as I said, uh, sometime uh, very early next week, we'll have the second part of our Tomb of the Cybermen commentary. Uh, we broke it up into two sections. Uh, uh, episodes one and two uh, are on the first section, and uh, the second commentary covers episodes three and four, which is a good thing, because we'd already done one and two. <laughs> All right. Um, so, of course, uh, also we have another treat, hopefully coming out sometime this week, but we're going to um, keep that a little bit of a secret. Yes. Yes, we are, aren't we, Dave? Uh-huh. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's called pre-planning, yes. <laughs> it means I have to ask him during the show. All right. Well, until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the sixth doctor. Goodbye, everybody.